0: an important message entitled, Knowing the Time. And the text is found in Romans 13 and verse 11, which says, Knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. It's high time to wake up. That's the word of the Lord from Paul to the church at Rome, and I believe by the Spirit of God, to the church here in Northampton today. One of the distinguishing characteristics of true Christians is just that, we know. Gets up the nose of unbelievers sometimes because they think we're bigoted and... Uh, <clears throat> and. Uh, too self assured for our own good, but we cannot deny what we know. Right? We know we have a certainty of our convictions, which is not born out of academic achievements or natural intelligence, obviously, but through our personal encounter with Christ. Unshakable fundamental truths have gripped our heart and ordered our life. And hallelujah for that. Amen. Amen. This word knowing, it means to see, to be aware, to perceive, to understand. And the Apostle's statement, knowing the time, obviously assumes just that, that we really do know. Knowing the time, yes, it's something that you do know. Knowing the time, he assumes that there is a knowledge that has been communicated to us. <clears throat> he stated we've been afforded insights and awareness to our moment in history. And it's only through the gift of new life through Christ that God communicates this ability to see above the natural order of things and uh, to interpret what is going on around us. Thank God we have a new understanding of of, uh, our own life. Amen. We have a new understanding of life itself. We now see that life is God's gift to be invested in the will and purpose uh, of God to fulfill a destiny beyond our natural capabilities. Amen? That's what God communicates. He communicates that knowledge that life is not scrabbling around in the things that other people are hoping to give, some satisfaction and purpose to their life. It's settled. Hallelujah. We know that the gift of life is to be invested in glorifying His name, doing His will. And the byproduct is we are possessed with an eternal satisfaction. And some people said... Thank you both. Yes. We see ourselves in a new light. Amen. And how we needed that. Amen. When we were in darkness, we saw things that filled us with despair, with anxiety. But that moment we had an encounter with Christ, there was a knowledge, an awareness, a new perception communicated to ourselves uh, that, that give a, a new understanding of our own life, of our very own being. Blessed be His name. So, we're no longer caught up in that world of the negative. I can't. By this encounter with Christ, He has transported us into the realm of I can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Hallelujah for that. And three people said amen. We're getting better. Things are warming up, folks. All right? And we have a new perspective on our world, which is where we're heading in this message this morning. We understand that this self centered me, me, me system is not God's order, right? We see through the glitter and the glamour of the materialistic and the hedonistic attractions that clamour for our attention. We recognize very, very clearly all that is in the world is not of the Father. Right? It's just a facade covering emptiness and hopelessness. We see our future in a new light. Amen? A future not based on what Boris can offer or the other culprits. All right? But on a kingdom that will never pass away. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen? We do not see the future through the eyes of fear and anxiety, but they are full of glorious hope. Hallelujah. How is this for hope? For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. That's our hope. Amen. That's where we are headed. Glory be to God. Amen. And uh, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That is our hope. Hallelujah. That's where we're headed. And I hope that grips you with some sense of enthusiasm and passion this morning because there's nothing greater on the horizon for any of us. Yes, as Christians, we do know. And thank God for that knowledge that's been communicated to us. We do see, we do understand that in Christ our life is of special significance. Do you see that this morning? Or are you spiritually adrift? Hmm? Are you sleepwalking through the great issues of our day? Amen. God, help us to see things very, very clearly. He has a role for every one of us in his eternal plan. And this is exactly what Paul is emphasizing in these words, that knowing the time. The word used here for time is kairos, which means a significant and important moment. In fact, the appointed time in the purpose of God. How about that? And that knowing the time, this is the time appointed in the purpose of God. Do we understand that that's what we are living in right now? Whatever is on the horizon politically or economically for the child of God, we are caught up in this certain assurance. God has called us to His kingdom for such a time as this because these are momentous days and the purpose of God is unfolding before our eyes and He wants us to participate in it and be instruments in advancing His kingdom and helping those poor beggars who are lost in darkness. Amen? Amen. Am I allowed to say beggars? All right. Kairos is, is linked to the word, the Greek word for head, kara, And um, it signifies that things have come to a head and require decisive action. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is inferring that you and I have a unique capacity capacity to understand what's really happening in our world. We have a perception and awareness that what is unfolding in society and the world at large is, in fact the outworking of biblical prophecy. Amen? And it's being played out right in front of our eyes every day. And that's why Paul clearly infers that you, you, you know the time, right? You've got an awareness. The things that are happening are happening because they've been foretold and we have been forewarned. And so by the Word of God and the Spirit of God, we see what no unbeliever can why we pray for politicians and for all who are in authority. They grope in the mists, but we believe in the sovereign God to overrule and direct the affairs, to promote His kingdom, and to hasten the day of that one whose right it is to reign. Amen? That He will come and establish His order on this planet. And please, God, make it soon. It's the statements and the teachings of Jesus and the apostles as well as the Old Testament prophets which govern our worldview. And if they don't, they should. Amen? So easy to get caught up in all the news media and the hype that is is clamoring for everybody's attention. But for the child of God, we are anchored to the book. Amen? Our worldview is governed by what we have been foretold and forewarned. And that is to shape our thinking, shape our attitudes, and shape our responses to what's going on all around us. That's what Paul is underlining here, the importance of disciplining and shaping our lives by what we know. Knowledge is one thing, application is another. Right? And the Lord expects us to react and respond to all that's happening around us by what He has opened our eyes to see. What a privilege. Amen. What a privilege. That God Almighty has given us an understanding and awareness of our times. That we are not just drifting around aimlessly, caught up in all the whims of of political decisions and the affairs of men. We are here anchored to the rock, governed by the word, living in the light of what he has foretold and forewarned. Blessed be his name. Jesus gave a very stinging rebuke, you remember, to the leaders, the religious leaders of his day because they had all the vital information to enable them to read the signs of the times. They were students of God's Word. They had the prophetic scriptures, which they read regularly, but their own self-interest blinded them to see the obvious. And that's why Jesus said to them, you know how to interpret the signs of the weather in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. What does that tell us? A religious mindset will always blind and distort true spiritual perspective. It's possible to know the Scriptures and yet not know the time. It's possible to read, to go through a religious duty of reading the Scriptures day by day and yet be in a a state of spiritual drift, not understanding what is happening before our very eyes. God, awaken us this morning. So the vital question is to every one of us, what is the time? what is the time? And that was the question that the disciples put to Jesus. When you remember, they were looking at the temple buildings, and, they said, and he said to them, you can look at them now and how glorious they are, but there's coming a day when there won't be one stone left on another. And immediately, they turned to him and said, well, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? He'd already told them that he was going away and he was coming again. And they said, tell us, what will the signs be? How will we know? And Jesus gave, it's recorded in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke, detailed answer to their three-part question, right? He focused on three areas where there will be significant signs and events taking place that would signify the nearness of his return. One, signs in the world morally, socially, militarily, signs in the church and in the religious world, and signs in the Middle East, especially Israel. Jesus prophesied, and these are his words, not mine, Jesus prophesied that on the run-up Uh, To his return, we would see signs of widespread deception and confusion. Mm -mm. We would see famines, food shortages, and linked to economic crisis. Mm. Plenty of statistics on that. Wars and the threat of armed conflict nationally and internationally. Weather patterns. Uh Uh-oh. Weather patterns greatly disturbed. Climate change is not all about man's folly. Right? He, told, he said in Luke, winds and the waves roaring, an unusual weather scene. Hmm? Persecution and prosecution of Christians Great seismic activity, earthquakes occurring in unusual places with devastating impact. Forewarned about epidemic diseases. Interestingly, just recently, the World Health Organization predicted the emergence of new infectious diseases. Civic strife and an upsurge of violence. Now, let me emphasize, dear saints sitting there, uh, biting your fingernails... Jesus did not prophesy these things to scare us, but to prepare us. Amen? Not to scare us, but to prepare us. And seeing these signs in our day is not the signal to run for cover, to pull the duvet over your head and hope that it passes quickly without troubling you. We are here in the kingdom for such a time as this. And the Spirit of God will empower us Whatever the challenge, if we look to him, he will empower us to shine as beacons of hope to a lost and despairing world. Amen? That's our high calling. Time doesn't permit us this morning for me to go through all the details of the things that Jesus uh, underlined would signify his return. Let me touch on one, just a few of them here. Firstly, Israel. Jesus warned, When you see is Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Now, Israel has come through many, many conflicts in our lifetime. <clears throat> Some are old enough here to remember the Great War in June 1967, when, against all odds, Israel reclaimed uh, parts of East Jerusalem. That was a fulfillment of the words of Jesus. He had foretold that Jerusalem would be trampled down by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled. 1967, the Israeli armies reclaimed uh, that part of of East uh, Jerusalem. But there's coming a battle. Zechariah warned uh, that Israel will face a conflict and it will not win by military might. For I will gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem. That's what Zechariah foresaw in our day. Now, nobody could foresee that the United States would ever leave Israel exposed to conflict and hostility from the surrounding nations. It's always been the bastion of defense. But just uh, two or three weeks ago, President Trump made a decision uh, that that shook everybody. Came quite unexpectedly. He decided to pull troops out of Syria and uh, <clears throat> take them further afield or back to the United States. Interestingly, the US Army moved out of its base on one day. The next day, Russian forces moved right into that very base. Hmm? And an ITV journalist not known for his understanding of biblical prophecy, he says this is an historic moment because it signals the end of US influence in the region. Mm. Israel is now left exposed and vulnerable to nations totally hostile to its existence, and the major powers of China and Russia are moving in very, very strongly in that whole area ...of of the planet. Robert Malley of the International Crisis Group said... ...the international order, as we knew it, is unraveling... ...with no clear sense of what will come in its wake. Well, no clear sense to those who are simply students of history... ...or politics or Middle Eastern culture. But for those who are students of the word, we know what's coming. Armies will be gathered. Jerusalem will be invaded... And there will be no hope or help coming from any other nation. They will be utterly abandoned. And then guess what? Guess what? Oh, it's so glorious, highly dramatic. But in that moment of their absolute calamity, he will come. And his feet will stand upon the Mount of Olives. And the mountain will split. And the great flood will engulf that whole area and sweep those uh, uh, attacking nations. And everyone will see and know the one that they crucified is indeed their saviour and their deliverer. Isn't it mighty? We're living in those days, friends. Just a couple of weeks ago, a decision made in the White House, and it passes with little shockwaves here and there. Why on earth would he do that? Why did he do it? Because the pieces of the jigsaw are being put in place in readiness for the greatest moment in all of human history. He's coming. Hallelujah. He's coming. He's coming very soon. There's this whole uh, matter of of persecution, which doesn't seem to trouble us greatly in this country, although we'll touch on a little bit of that. The Open Doors Organisation, which keeps up-to-date data on Christian persecution, and they had one of their representatives here a few weeks ago, you remember, or a few months ago, And they are stating that globally, hard to imagine this, 215 million Christians live under constant fear and threat because of their following Jesus. 75% of the world's population live in areas of severe religious restriction. North Korea is listed as the number one Persecutor of of Christians, with 200,000 Christians imprisoned there, right as we are speaking today. Hmm? The Chinese government, and this was a story carried in uh, one of the national dailies, I believe it was in The Guardian. The Chinese government is closing churches, jailing pastors, and can you believe this? It is now rewriting the Bible. The Chinese government is determined that they will hold everything under the communist ideology and they they are now rewriting the Bible from a communist perspective. And that will be the only Bible that, uh, that is allowed. They reported that it is the worst crackdown on religion since the country's cultural revolution in the 60s and 70s when Chairman Mao vowed that he would eradicate religion from China. Well, he made a very, very powerful attempt to do so with hundreds of thousands of Christians put to death and imprisoned. But right now, so we understand, there are at least a hundred million Bible-believing, spirit-filled saints working for Jesus in China. Amen. I will build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Hallelujah. But we are living in these days when the very things that Jesus forewarned are taking place before our eyes. It's there for us to see. A UK government-backed report stated that persecution of Christians in parts of the world is at near genocide levels. And surprisingly, it found that Christians were the most persecuted of all religious groups. And Christians uh, victimized not only in those uh, distant parts of the world, but right here, in the UK. There is an increasing and intensifying opposition to the Gospel and the people who seek to promote it. Not as physically threatened as the Muslim, Hindu or Communist world, but the battle is real and it's intense. And it's increasing, and Christians are facing intimidation in the workplace, in school, and in college uh, for expressing their faith. Thank God for that uh, uh, organization run by a barrister. What's it called? Christian Concern, Concern, yes. Where they are seeking to uphold um, biblical morality and helping Christians who are taking a stand Winning some cases in court in recent days. And thank God for them, we need to pray for them and and support them. But persecution, as Jesus said, it's taking place on an immense scale in our day. And it's another sign of where we are as far as the time is concerned. And then Jesus spoke about famines and finances. He said there will be famines and troubles... 27 million people are now facing starvation right at this moment. Can you imagine? About half the population of this country facing starvation right now in, uh, in South Sudan, in Nigeria, and in Yemen. The Syrian crisis and uh, the, uh, the figures for the Syrian crisis are absolutely uh, horrific. Horrific but they're leaving hundreds of thousands of people desperate for daily provisions. It says, uh, statistics are that 815 million people globally are living on less than the minimum daily food requirement. Can you believe it? When you look at the amount of waste in the West, and there's 815 million people who go without the minimum daily uh, nutritional requirements. And that results in 250,000 deaths every year, and upwards of 500,000 kids going blind because of vitamin deficiency, a lack of proper nutrition. That's happening in our world right now. Right? Terrible famines are taking place, and we can just read it in our newspaper and let it slip past us without realizing, hey, these are indicators of where we are in God's great timing, Jesus' words are being fulfilled right before our eyes. And uh, Jesus also referred in the same context as famine as troubles, famines and troubles. And some Bible commentators suggest it's linked uh, to economic scarcity in the last days. And there's no doubt, friends, that global economy is on very, very shaky ground. There's not, uh, there's not a nation on the planet That isn't up to its eyeballs in debt. The figures for the UK, absolutely astonishing. It's something like approaching 90% of uh, GDP that is now covered by debt. Now, if you've got £100 coming into your house and £90 is going out on debt, you ain't going to survive for too long, are you? And yet all around the world, nations are running on on this basis. What's going to happen? The balloon is going to be pricked sooner or later. And Jesus forewarned that there would be scarcity of of food resources and economic crisis gripping uh, the, 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 the world. And that's when everything is all nicely in place, when the crisis seems insoluble, that a figure will appear. Probably from Iraq, Iran, that region, and he will have the answers. And he will sort out the Middle East problem with Israel. And everything will seem hunky-dory. We've been looking for this man. The Muslims call him the 12th Mahdi. And everything we know about Antichrist, we will read in their description of the 12th Mahdi. Right? He will arise. And he'll solve the problems. And, uh, and he will be accepted. Especially when he begins to work his magic with all kinds of lying wonders, as the Bible describes it. This is the world that we are living in right now. And it's all unfolding so clearly before our very eyes, friend. It's happening. And we need to be aware that uh, the words of the prophets, of the apostles, and of Jesus himself, they are being realized right now, right in our day. Hebrews 12, 27 reminds us that everything that can be shaken will be shaken, including economies. Everything that man puts his trust in is going to be shaken so that the unshakable kingdom of God will be displayed. Things are certainly shaking in every nation, On the planet. Now all the statistics that I've given you so far, they shout loudly to anybody who's listening, it's time to wake up, for now our salvation is nearer than when we believed. These are statistics and they can just wash over our head because they're so ginormous. How can you get hold in your imagination? 850 million people in desperate need of food, It's staggering, isn't it? It's mind-boggling. But what it tells us is this. We are coming to the last mile of the journey before He comes, whose right it is to reign. Amen. God help us. Let's not close our eyes to the reality and scale of the prophetic fulfillment that's being realized at this time. But remind ourselves, they're not there to scare us. They're there to prepare us. Get ready. He's coming. Last thing I want... Well, not the last thing. We've got another two hours to go Um, (laughs) here. Jesus forewarned that the closing age will be marked by an upsurge of violence. He said lawlessness will abound and you don't need a degree in sociology to see the evidence of the astonishing breakdown in regard for human life. It's grabbing the headlines every day. Murders and violent crime are stretching police resources beyond their limits 44,000 knife crimes in the last 12 months up to June of this year 44,000 hmm? this week some of you who take the Chronicle and Echo will have seen the front page story of the you know, yet another young life ended stabbed to death by a vicious gang hell bent on bloodshed some of those gang members had just slashed innocent people Carrying knives. Didn't like the way somebody looked at them. (laughs) An upsurge of violence, Jesus said. You can't make this stuff up. An 18-year-old man, last Thursday, was attending uh, a course, an awareness course, on knife crime in Hillingdon Civic Center. He was stabbed to death right there. You can't make it up. Unbelievable. He's there going through a course of awareness of knife crime and his blood is shed on the very floor where they're holding that conference. Jesus warned, there will be an upsurge of lawlessness. And uh, the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 3, I'm not going to read all of those verses and so I'm reading out of the Passion because it's the Passion translation. This is what Paul pictured how end-time society would look. He wrote to Timothy, But you need to be aware that in the final days, the culture of society will become extremely fierce and difficult for the people of God. People will be self-centered, lovers of themselves, and obsessed with money, slaves to their desires. They will be ferocious, belligerent haters of what is good and right. With brutal treachery, they will act without restraint, Dear friends, we are in that day right now. Those words written 2,000 years ago are now unfolding right in our newspapers and the news media today. This is our world, and it's telling us, wake up, He's coming very, very soon. And we can only uh, come to uh, this, this, this conclusion with clarity that grips our heart, the more we're in touch with the Savior and His Word. It can drift over us. This meeting can close and we go on our way and it doesn't affect us. I pray the Spirit of God will sound a wake-up call in every heart. We need to be alert because it's not only a day signaling His coming, it's a day announcing opportunity for the people of God to shine as beacons, to bring hope to those who are caught up in... Deception and confusion, all right, must never lose sight of the fact, friend, that there are only two kingdoms operating on this planet, and there's no middle ground between them. One's the kingdom of light, and the evidence of the kingdom of light is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Amen? That's what the rule of King Jesus brings, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And then there's the other kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, which operates by deception, confusion, and intimidation. Those are always the elements you see at work when the kingdom of darkness is operating. Deception, confusion, and intimidation. And I suggest to you those elements of the kingdom of darkness are abundantly evident in our day. Right? Deceive. That's what uh, Jesus warned the disciples, the very first thing when they said, what will be the signs of your coming? The very first thing He said to them was, take heed that no one deceives you. And that word deceive means to go off course. And that's exactly what has happened in society. It's gone off course. It has jettisoned biblical morality. It has thrown over those tried and trusted paths of, of Judeo Christian values, it's gone deliberately in another direction. There, and that's why there is this deception and confusion which is engulfing the nations of our day. It's undeniable that we are watching moral confusion rampage. You just can't make up the stuff that is now hitting the headlines in terms of moral confusion. Excuse me. the appalling damage that is being done to the young and the very young by this confusion, my God, send help to this generation. There's no amount of money, no matter how much Corbyn says he's going to put into it, or Boris, there's not enough money in the National Health Service, or there ever will be, to deal with the fallout of this confusion. When it reaps the harvest that is being sown right now and the damage done. And we have to acknowledge the biggest players advancing this moral confusion is the entertainment and news media. Screens of all sizes, those little ones you've got in your pocket, or the big cinema screens, they are the major tool in promoting the drive to abandon everything God has established for our well-being. There has been a perpetual erosion of those values that have held society together in in reasonable civil order for centuries. We're living in those days that Isaiah warned, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. And you can't even trust the impartiality of the news media now, can you? There's a bias. There's an agenda. There are things that are slanted in a certain direction. This is the age of deception and confusion that Jesus forewarned. And one of the most hideous examples of the senseless confusion that's overtaken society is the gender issue. Hmm? Most of us can remember the days when it was a simple exercise to determine the gender of a a child, of a young person, of an adult for that matter. It was a simple exercise fact of biological science. One gender had different bits from the other gender. It was as simple as that. Not anymore. Not anymore. There was an article. Absolutely mind-boggling, right? You can now pick out of 21 options. 21 options? to decide what gender you feel comfortable with. You can be cisgender, CIS gender, which means you're happy to be male or female, and all the way up to third gender, which means you're comfortable with being neither male nor female. And this is promoted This isn't something that some comic on the Edinburgh Fringe Festival has has dreamed up for a night's entertainment. This is now swamping schools and and various other areas of, uh, of, of society. What's happening? Confusion. Deception and confusion is sweeping everywhere. And there's only one conclusion concerning... All of this stuff, and it's very clear. The signs predicted by Jesus, by the apostles, are literally staring us in the face. And that's why this message is so urgent this morning. It's time to wake up. For now our salvation is nearer than when we believed. So how do we wake up? Right? If the Holy Spirit is telling us to wake up this morning, what must we do? First of all, let's be honest. Are we in a state of spiritual drift? Are we truly aware of all that's going on and we're living in the light of of His return? Paul repeated his wake-up call to the Christians in Rome and the Thessalonians. Jesus repeatedly warned His disciples, watch, be ready, be aware. Why did He have to do that? Why wasn't once enough? Because, as we all know, the tendency of fire is to go out. And the tendency of an unguarded heart is is to drift. And we do have to watch. We do have to discipline our thinking and our attitudes. We do have to discipline our life of devotion as a priority. Otherwise, we are caught up very, very quickly in this state of spiritual slumber. Let me suggest uh, a couple of things here this morning very quickly. Firstly, deal with a divided heart syndrome. Right. Deal with a divided heart syndrome. Peter, on the subject of the second coming, he said, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Why invest your life, your time, your energy in stuff that's going to go up in smoke? Why make that a priority? Why let that be the all-consuming factor in, in our life? He says, what kind of people ought we to be? And he answers the question. Holy people, godly people, people who stand out in this ever-increasing darkness with a clarity of conviction seen in their behavior, in their attitudes, in their values. We are people of a different kingdom. Hallelujah. And here is where, if you're looking for hope, this is where you'll find it, right here. And God wants us to be clear we can't serve two masters. He's talking about the hold that materialism can exert over us. Yes, we have to earn a wage. We have to pay the bills. We have to do those mundane and, and very obvious things. But it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And heart issues will always govern the way we live. Doctors have suggested to me that I've got a heart issue. I've got One side of my heart is enlarged for some reason and and the effects are fairly obvious. I'm breathless and tired and so on. Heart issues in the spiritual realm have the same effect. right? When things are not right at heart in the spiritual dimension it becomes increasingly obvious. We lose the oomph. We lose the drive. We lose the passion. We lose the concern and compassion even. And that's why Uh, John in his epistle says, everyone who has this hope in them purifies themselves as he is pure. If this hope is burning, it's keeping you on the way of holiness that is fueling the light and the fire that's going to shine out to those round about. Distance yourself, uh, deal with the divided heart syndrome, and deal with distractions. In the context of his teaching about the second coming, Jesus warned against the cares of this life. The cares of this life, he says, will blind uh, us to the reality of the signs of the times. Now, the cares of this life we normally interpret to domestic pressures of family, home, and job. But I want to suggest that the cares of this life is a bigger option uh, to consider. There's a frenzy of national and global issues that are shouting at us, constantly demanding demanding our attention. Has anybody heard of Brexit? Brexit? Has anybody heard of climate change? Has anybody heard of uh, gender identity issues? The burning issues of our day are at a a state of frenzy that people everywhere are just caught up in the argument and the debate and there's a great danger that with all this intense public clamor, we get sec- sucked into the emotion. Not saying you shouldn't have an opinion. We get sucked into the emotion of this debate and argument. And we lose sight of our high calling as salt and light in the world. And our biblical perspectives get, bl- get blurred. Now, let me suggest... On the hugely emotive subject of climate change, we all have opinions. And as Christians, we're very clear about our responsibility to be good stewards of the planet. But listen, let us hold very clearly and very strongly and unashamedly to the biblical revelation that this planet is never going to suffocate under a cloud of CO2. Right? doesn't mean we shouldn't be concerned with what's going on and do our bit. But the biblical perspective for the child of God is very clear. God's Word clearly shows us how the last chapter of human history on planet Earth plays out, and it isn't by carbon dioxide poisoning. Amen? Amen. Of course, don't let anybody accuse me that I'm saying we shouldn't be concerned. Of course. We shouldn't ignore the problems. The decimation of the forests and the pollution of the oceans, it's abominable, right? But let's be realistic. It's a global indictment of mankind's selfishness, and there's no political cure for that, right? It's a spiritual issue at its root. That's why we must support every sensible effort to find viable solutions, but we do not buy into the global panic that the world's days are numbered by global warming. They are not. The one whose world this is will orchestrate the grand finale himself. Amen? Amen? And so, let us take a step back from all the furore that's raging around us. Don't let uh, the burning issues of the day quench the fire of God in your soul. Amen? This growing campaign to promote veganism, right? Like it's a big spirit. Save the planet. Eat, don't eat meat. Well, if that's your personal choice, amen, God bless you. right? But please don't try and make a biblical doctrine out of it because you is on shaky ground there when Peter had a vision in the Acts of the Apostles and God let down the sheep from heaven with all kinds of beef and lamb and pork and the word was not go and feed them and let them have their own way. He said, this is God himself, says, rise, Peter, enjoy a good steak (laughs) or if you prefer a pork chop or a lamb cutlet. He says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, if, if veganism is your choice, I'm not saying anything against it. That is your choice. But please don't beat me over the head with the Bible because you're on shaky ground. Save the planet. Eat, let, no, he will save the planet. Right? And all things are given, to, given us to enjoy. Not so much, but enjoy, yes. God intends us to enjoy our time on earth. Third and last thing is this. How are we to prepare for the days in which we live? Quite simply, be filled with the Holy Ghost. Be filled with the Spirit. It shall come to pass in the last days. And the last days began on the day of Pentecost. The last day, says God, I will pour my Spirit on all flesh. And the only way The church of Jesus Christ and individual Christians are going to stand against the challenge of our day and make an impact is by being full of God, full of the Spirit. Amen? That's how it began, first century. That's how God intends it to conclude. A church, a people who are full of His Spirit. Amen? The people who know their God. Uh, says Daniel, concerning things in the last days, the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Does that sound like a people who are running for cover? Does that sound like a people who are anxious and fearful? No, it sounds like a people who are God's plan and purpose to give hope right to the very last moment to gather in the harvest for which He shed His blood. Amen? These prophetic words are not there to scare us, but to prepare us. So, dear friend, don't give in to fear. Don't worry about your kids, right? Grandkids, what kind of world are they growing up in? You pray over them. You teach them God's word. You pray for them to be full of the Holy Ghost. And God will use them. Amen. God will make them instruments of kingdom purpose to their generation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Our God reigns, friends. Our God reigns. And in the great finale, it will be seen. Those who have put their trust in Him. Those who have lived for His glory. Those who are filled with His Holy Spirit. Don't give in to fear. May these words burn in your heart. You have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Amen. And the greater the darkness, the brighter we shine. It's time to wake up, friends. Let's ask ourselves, are we drifting? Are we slumbering? Let's ask the church, is this church really awake? Are we alert to the issues of our day and the challenge that they are bringing? Are we really, really awake? If not, he can help us this morning. Blessed be his name. He can help us. Let's just pray. Now, if you are honest enough to say in your heart, my spiritual desire isn't up to much. The fire isn't burning very bright in my soul. Things that I know ought to be in place are not. Devotions like prayer, like the Word of God. If you know things are not where they should be, just right now say, Lord, please, I am sorry for where I am and for what I have neglected. From your heart, just say that. We cannot create spiritual desire, but he will if we are honest with him. Right now, say, Lord, I am sorry for where I am. Will you please ignite a fresh, holy flame in my heart? Of true desire and devotion for you. Where I've gone off course, Lord, will you correct me that I may be an instrument in your hand to those round about me? If you pray from your heart, God is hearing right now. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, just say, God, please come afresh. Holy Spirit, come afresh over me. Fill me, possess my heart, and energize my life in a new way to shine for you. Father, I pray that your word will find a resting place, a quickening place in the hearts of the hearers. And I pray right now that those who are calling on your name will be amazed at your answer of grace, of mercy and reviving power. Help us, Lord, to be the people that You have destined us to be, to shine for You in these last days. We rejoice in all Your great mercies and including us in Your great plan for these days. And we pray, help us by the power of Your Spirit, help us to honor You. Amen.